Our first reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, and this is Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he, could, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias... Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see him again, see him again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Luke, Gospel of Luke 14, verses 25 to 34, and it's in the Church Bibles, page 1048. The cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him, with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Richard. Let's pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Father, we thank you for your gift to us of the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that your word is life, that you speak to us that you reveal Jesus, your living word, through the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to, see, to experience you this morning, open our eyes to see you more clearly this morning, that you would fill us with your love and that you would call us further on this journey of following you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series in Acts, we're in chapter 9 this week, and Terry will put the passage back up on the screen. Uh, and this week we come to the Damascus Road, and two things happen here in, in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Paul undergoes a radical conversion, Jesus breaking into his life, uh, we see that in verse 3. Uh, and he's called to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Um, I'm going to call him Paul in this sermon. You may have noticed in Acts chapter 9, as it comes up on the screen, um, that he's referred to as Saul throughout chapter 9. That, that's because it was a bilingual society. They spoke Greek and they spoke Hebrew. So most people had two names, and Saul was his Hebrew name. Um, we're in Israel, so he's referred to as Saul in chapter 9. And Paul was his Greek name. So as he moves out into the Mediterranean world where people spoke Greek, he's referred to as Paul. So um, I'll call him Paul here, but it, it, it says Saul in chapter 9. Uh, and it's a helpful passage for us as we uh, have our Commitment Sunday this week, as we pray through, as we reflect on what God is calling each of us to, uh, what he's calling us to do, how he's calling us to give of our time and energy, how he's calling us to give of our finances, where he's calling us to invest, where he's calling us to serve. Uh, and in this last year, we've stepped out of the boat in mission. We've run like, these five Alpha courses over the last term. Uh, we launched, if you cast your mind, all the way back to January. We've been praying for five all year. We all took those cards back in January and wrote down on the cards names of five of our family or friends who we just want to experience Jesus' love for themselves, people that we love, uh, and praying for them every day that they would know how much God loves them and that he would break into their lives. Um, and that's, we're not going to stop doing that. So let me encourage you, as we come to the end of the year, we've been praying for five, please keep going. Please don't stop praying for your five friends or family. Um, I, I presume you still love them at the end of the year, just as much as you loved them at the beginning of the year. If not, you can scribble their name off. Just, um, 
We still love our friends and family. We still want them to know God's love for themselves. So let's keep praying for five of our friends and family. It's a great daily discipline. And I know that lots of us, as we've got into the habit of praying every morning for our five friends or family, have, have discovered what a life-giving habit it is. And we don't want to stop. So, so let's keep going. And there, there are still more cards if you want to take one and rewrite the names or scribble off the name of the person you don't love anymore. Um, uh, or the person you... Just joking. Um, I'll, I'll move on. Um, we're going to keep doing that, but we're not going to be talking about it or focusing on it so much next year, because we're going to be focusing on something else instead. Uh, and the two things we're going to be focusing on for the next 12 months, it's our church family, our community together, uh, and God's call on each of our lives, as Peter showed us in that um, activity of the children at the beginning. We're all different, we're, we all have different gifts, and we need each other. We're a body with many parts. Uh, and so particularly from January, we're going to be focusing on our church family, how we can grow together deeper in relationships, focusing on pastoral care and welcome and small groups and our life together as a church family. Um, and then particularly from Easter, we'll, we'll be focusing a bit about the role that each one of us plays within the body. We'll spend some time to thinking through in smaller groups, how, what is it that God's gifted us to do? What's his call on our lives individually? And finding that, that place that we each have so that we can know not just that we belong, but know where we belong and what it is that we've been called to do. Uh, so that's what we'll be turning to our attention to next year. Uh, and it's that second question, that question of calling. What is it that God has made you to do that our passage speaks of today? Uh, within the family of God, we all have a different part to play. Uh, and that's true for each one of us. Some of you might know already, I know how God's wired me, I know how he's made me, I am serving, I am active, I'm running towards the things that God has made me for. And it's so life-giving, isn't it? When we find that cause that we know we were made to do our purpose. And it's joyful to spend ourselves for it. Paul talks about how he's pouring his life out like a cup of wine being poured out. You give so sacrificially, but when you're doing it for the thing you were made to do, there's a joy in it as well. Um, as long as we're taking enough rest, and we'll be thinking about that rhythm of work and rest next year as well. Some of us might not be so sure. We might think, I've got no idea what God made me to do. I don't feel like I'm using my gifts. I don't feel like I'm in tune with my purpose. I feel like there's something more for me, but I don't know what it is. Um, others of us might be doubting. There might be, you might think, well, it's fine for the Bible to say that we all need each other and that the body's got many parts, but I don't feel like I've got anything to offer. I'm not, I don't know what, what I could give. Uh, and for each one of us, the Lord has made us, he has called us to serve him in a particular way. And it's so life-giving when we discover what it is that God has made us to do. So let's dive into our passage um, and see what we can learn this morning. And it's an important passage. It's um, repeated three times in the book of Acts. And Acts is, is history, it's the story of the early church. But it's not just a story that we're meant to read and forget. It, it's a story that's trying to persuade us and equip us for life. Uh, and Paul is set before us from this point of Acts on for the rest of the book from chapter 9. It's mostly about Paul. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is setting Paul in front of us as an example of what the Christian life can and should look like. So that as we look at Paul's life, we can learn, and, uh, learn from his example about what our lives could look like too, for better and for worse. Uh, and it, because it's given three times, because it's such an important story, Luke really thinks there's something here we can learn from. Uh, so we pick up the story of Paul persecuting the church in verse 1. He's not a Christian. He thinks that the Christianity needs to be stamped out. If we could have it up on the screens, Terry, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Um, and he's, stamped up, he's trying to stamp out uh, Christianity. And he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem and asks him for letters to um, 
be able to take to Damascus and to arrest the Christians there. And so he sets off with uh, a guard of soldiers and authority from the high priests to go to Damascus and to stamp out Christianity there. And then in verses 4 to 6, it, it all changes. There's a great light. Uh, he falls off his horse. Three questions. Uh, he sees a vision. He says, who are you, Lord? And the voice comes says back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he's left blind. Uh, and it's, there's a real encouragement here, just how much Jesus identifies with us, his people. Um, Paul hasn't been persecuting Jesus. He'd never met Jesus. He's been persecuting Christians. But Jesus so identifies with us, his people, that when Paul has been persecuting the early church, Jesus says, it's me you've been persecuting. That's how much Jesus identifies with each one of us this morning. We are his family. We're his children. We're his body. We're bought at a price covered over by his um, death for us. We're forgiven. We're, we're made his. We belong to each other because we're his. And we belong to him. We're united with Jesus. And Jesus says, what happens to us happens to him. Uh, he's that closely identified with us. So ne never believe that you are not important to God. Jesus says here, you're persecuting me, Paul, when you're persecuting these Christians. Uh, and Paul enters Damascus blind, led by the hand. He, he set off, he thought he was going to arrive with a guard of soldiers on his big war horse with these letters of authority, this man of power to come and um, get the Christians and put them in prison. He doesn't enter on his horse, he enters stumbling. He's, he's led by the hand, he's blind. He enters helpless. And he actually has to receive his healing at the hands of one of those that he'd, came to, that he'd come to kill. So very, it's a humbling reversal for, for Paul. He doesn't enter in the way he thought he was going to. And so in verse 10, we meet Ananias. And Ananias is a follower of Jesus in Damascus. Uh, and in verse te verses 10 to 12, he's asked to do something stupid. Um, I don't know, has God ever asked you to do something stupid? Uh, he does it quite a lot in the Bible. Uh, you, might, you can probably think of the stories. Go, go build a boat in the desert, Noah. That's a good idea. Um, Gideon, you've got a big, big battle to fight. Send all your army home. Um, Ananias, go pray for someone who wants to kill you. Uh, and Ananias, quite rightly, in verse 13 to 14, he tells God what a stupid idea that is. That doesn't make any sense, Lord. Why would I go? He wants to kill me. Don't you know what this man is like, Lord? Uh, it's like in our gospel reading, um, really challenging words in our gospel reading, saying that following Jesus costs everything, absolutely everything. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost a translation problem where it says anyone who doesn't hate their father and mother and brothers and sisters in that um, reading from Luke, uh, the Greek word is miseo. It, it, means, it means count as nothing. And the, that, that is made clear in the context of the passage in Luke. Jesus says, when you're going to do something, you know what it's going to cost you. You make sure that you can pay the price before you go, and un go for an undertaking. Um, in the same way, following me costs everybody. It costs everything. Anybody who's going to prefer their family or their comfort or their status or their ambitions or their relationships before me can't follow me. Very challenging words. Um, but that, that's what he means when he says hate family or whatever. It's not loathe them in English. That's not what the word means. It means count Jesus higher than. Following Jesus costs everything. And often he tells us to do something that we do not want to do, that feels very costly, that at a human level feels stupid to, to leave our job, to leave our house, to give a large amount of money away to a different cause, to go and invite out for lunch the person who's so difficult, um, to do something that costs us as an expression of Jesus' love, 
Because that's what Jesus is like. That's what Jesus spent his life doing, costly love, even to the point of dying in our place. Um, So he tells Ananias here to do something stupid. Um, And Ananias resists, but surprisingly, God wins, and Ananias goes. Uh, and, And God normally wins. He has a calling for each of our lives. Sometimes when he calls you to do something, it will feel stupid. It will feel hard or costly or difficult. But the Lord always wins because he, he knows how he's made us. He knows what will give us life. Uh, we never see the full picture. He always does. Uh, and Ananias goes to Saul and he prays for him. And he offers, it's amazing really, Ananias offers grace in the face of the hatred that um, Saul had been showing him. And God heals Saul. Uh, and in verses 15 to 19, we have these wonderful, wonderful words of commission. Verse 15, we read that Saul is God's chosen instrument to carry God's name to the Gentiles. Uh, verse 16, we read that God will show him how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus. And in verses 17 and 18, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's physically healed, just as Tom was a few weeks ago. Uh, he's baptized. And straight away in verse 20, he goes out and he begins to preach. It's um, straight away, for Paul wasn't someone who slowed down to do things. He was definitely an activist. He's straight out preaching, telling the good news of what's happened to him. Um, we read the story here in Acts 9. We read it in Paul's words in Galatians 1, and we're just going to put up on the screen Galatians 1 from verse 13. Here's Paul's account of what happened as he reflects back on it. Uh, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Uh, And there's this wonderful contrast in those verses from Galatians as Paul kind of underlines what's happened in this story. Uh, Before it was all about Paul. Uh, And in Galatians 1, 13, 14, Paul is the subject of all the verbs. I was advancing in front of others. I was persecuting the church. I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's ambitious. He's successful. He's doing well. He's driven. And it's all about him. He's pushing forward. And then those wonderful words in verse 15 but God. I was going this way. I was going fast and I was doing it well, but God. God set me apart. God called me by his grace. God revealed his son in me. God breaks into Paul's life in a dramatic way on the Damascus road. And it's no longer about Paul and his ambition and his drivenness. It's about God and God's grace, calling someone who was going against him, revealing Jesus to him. God called Ananias. God called Saul. And we're here today as a result of that transformation. Uh, And he's calling us too. He's been pursuing us since we were born. He has a purpose for each one of us. Uh, And there's such a wonderful picture of the gospel here to encourage us. Because I don't know about you, if I was God, and it's always dangerous to start a um, sentence with that phrase, isn't it? Because we know we're going to get it wrong. If I was God and I was looking for the next leader of the church after Jesus had died, so we'd done well with Jesus, Jesus had done a good job, you've got 12 disciples, they're doing quite a good job, and we need someone to now take the church around the world, who are we going to pick? Who's the next leader that you'd pick if you were God? It probably wouldn't have been Paul. Um, It's probably unlikely that the Ukrainian people are going to look for a leader from Russia to lead them into the future. It's probably unlikely that the Israeli government would try and recruit someone from Hamas to lead the country. It would be stupid, wouldn't it? There's not a chance we'd consider it. 
But somehow that's what's happened here. And those examples, I almost didn't use them, but that is literally what happened here. Someone who was killing Christians, who had blood on his hands, quite literally. He was going out trying to stamp out the church. We saw that in the story of Stephen stoning, Paul watching while they brutally killed a Christian man just for believing in Jesus. And God breaks into this man's life. He's a terrorist, one way of looking at it. And he calls him, and he commissions him, and he blesses him, and he sends him to preach in the name of the one that he's been persecuting. Is that not a picture of the radical grace of God? There's something uncomfortable about it. There always should be with God's grace. It's not how the world normally works. Uh, And God transforms Paul's life, and he gives him a commission Paul would never have imagined, but with hindsight, it makes perfect sense. Uh, Only God could have done that. You'd never have predicted it, but with hindsight, God uses all of Paul's story up to this point. Uh, Paul spent years studying rhetoric under Gamaliel, and he sent out to preach to the Gentiles. He spent years studying the Torah, the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures inside out, and he's the one who would explain how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He had all this drive and ambition that he was using to try and kill Christians, and God redirects it to be used to plant churches. Isn't that just what God's like? He takes what's broken or warped in our past, in our story, And he brings good out of evil. The worst things that happen to us, the Lord can use those terrible things and he can bring good to result from them. God can take our sin, the things we do wrong, the mistakes we've made, the things we regret, and he can redeem them. Not that they were good, so much in Saul's life was bad, but God brings good from it. God is the God of second chances. He's always giving second chances. And he he even gives us work to do. Uh, Paul might have thought, if he ever had come to believe in Jesus, that Jesus, that fine, he might be forgiven, but that Jesus could never use him, given what he'd done. We know that Peter thought that, didn't we, after he betrayed Jesus. And yet he's recommissioned. Uh, And it begins here with repentance. There's a humbling of Saul that takes place. He thinks he's going to arrive on his horse with his army. Instead, he's led by the hand and blind. Yeah, and that's, why, that's one of the reasons this is meant to be a pattern for us. It won't happen in a flash for all of us on the Damascus Road with a flash of light. For some of us, it's a, year, a process of years of reorientation. But for all of us, at one point in our lives, we were going our way, like Paul, the, we're the subject of the verb. I was advancing, I was pursuing, I was going this way, I was heading for what I wanted. But God. But God breaks in. He breaks into all of our lives. He wants to break into every person's life on this world. He wants to call us by his grace, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us that much, to give us a second chance when we'd been going wrong, to bring good out of our past. It begins with repentance, with that change in direction, no longer my way, but his way. Uh, There's a humbling, a recognition that we haven't got it all sorted, that we don't deserve his love, it's just a gift. Uh, There's a process of, of sanctification, which means being made more like Jesus, being made holy, as we have to give to him all of those plans and ambitions we had before, all the things we've been striving for, we have to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'll go where you call me. What's your will? And sometimes he gives those back to us, redeemed and better, better than we could ever have imagined. Sometimes he points us in a totally different direction entirely. But this passage reminds us that we are never beyond the grace of God. This is the the radical, the all-embracing love of the Father that's available to you and me because of the death of Jesus Christ in our place, his resurrection from the dead. 
his invitation to each one of us that he wants to break into our lives. If we're not yet a Christian, if you don't yet know him, he wants to break into your life the way that he broke into Paul's life, that you might know that he died in your place, that you are loved by him, that there is a second chance for you, that you can be forgiven, that he has purpose for you. If you've been a Christian here for for 70 years, it's the same. He wants to break into our lives every day, remind us his grace, that we're forgiven, that we stand on his love for us, not our achievement. And that he's got a purpose for you. He has work for you to do. Um, you're never too old to have work for God to, for, that God wants you to do on this earth. When he's finished with you, he'll take you up to heaven to be with him forever. If you're here, if you're breathing, he has work for you to do. He has a purpose for you here and now on this earth to show his love to others. None of us are beyond the grace of God. There's a second chance this morning for all of us. You might think you don't deserve it. That's the gospel. He loves you anyway. If he broke into Paul's life, if he forgave Paul, he can forgive any of us. Uh, And yet none of us approach him. None of us come in based on our own righteousness. None of us ride in on the horse with the army behind us. We're all led by the hand, recognising that we don't deserve it. It's just the free gift of God. He is the God of grace. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. And his grace transforms our lives and sends us out to do work that he's prepared for us to do. That's part of his grace, that you're not just saved for your own benefit, you're saved and then you're given work to do. He's giving you a purpose, that's part of the gift. The gift is that you have a purpose. And if he can transform Paul, he can transform anyone. So as our last couple of minutes, what's he calling you to do? How do we know where we're called? How do we work out what our purpose is? Uh, I often share this quote from Frederick Buechner, who said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I I just love those words. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Um, GPS is a helpful acronym in thinking through where's God directing me, which way. GPS, gifts, passion, story. Uh, He calls us using our gifts, what we're good at, just as he did with Paul, all of his knowledge of the Old Testament, all of his gifts in preaching. Where are we gifted? He, he calls us using our passions, what we love, what our heart breaks for, what moves us. Just as he did with Paul, that, um, that over obsession about the glory of God, that concern that God would be exalted. He uses that in Paul's life, our passions. And our story, our experiences, good things, exp- um, gifts we've had, things that we've seen and known, bad things. Um, even things that happen to us that are, that are, hard, are the, the hardest parts of our life. So often God can use those parts of our story to enable us to minister to others in a way we'd never have been able to do if we didn't have that as part of our story. Where does God call us? Where, to the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets, using our gifts and our passions and our story. And a, a, a clue to it is what you might call a holy discontent. When you see something and it gets you, it frustrates you, uh, it, it hurts you and it, and it burdens you because you can see something and it's not right and you have a holy discontent, a holy frustration at something that's wrong in the world. It's often a clue that God's orienting you towards it to do something about it. Now, if you see a problem, then he's, God's not just telling you to tell someone else what the problem is so that they can fix it. He's probably calling you to fix it, to be involved in what he's doing reconciling all things to himself in Christ. And God is always calling. He has prepared good works in advance for each of us to do. As we see a need, as we begin to meet it, 
uh, and then we watch what happens. He, he does that with Paul. He calls him out to go to the Gentiles to preach the good news, and we're all here as a result. Paul takes the gospel around the whole of the known world. And we see it all around us in our church family and in Guildford. We're partnering now with the North Guildford Food Bank in St. Clair's, and that was set up just by one woman seeing a need, beginning to meet it, and growing and growing and growing until they served 5,000 people in this last year. Uh, an amazing ministry. Uh, we see it with Christians Against Poverty. We see it with Matrix. We see it with Beesum, all of our local mission partners, all begun by Christian men and women seeing a need and stepping out to meet them. We see it with so much that happens in our building and in our church family, from um, the cafe and the fair trade shop or the hardship fund or friendship club or the youth club, ways of meeting need or serving others that just begin with one person's vision and then grow as we join in together. Uh, and the good news is that God's not just calling you individually. Thankfully, he's calling us together. It's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. We all have different shapes and sizes, and it's only as each one of us plays our part and offers our little gift that together the whole is made, and we, we need each part. So he's not just calling us individually, he's calling us together, one body, many parts, to be part of the tapestry that he's weaving in this church, to be part of the light he's shining into the darkness. Uh, so there's a reminder for us this morning that, that each one of us here, if, you, if you're one of those people who thought, I've got nothing to give, I have no, no offering to give to what God is doing, well, that's not what God thinks. You are not an accident. You are unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord has prepared in advance good work for you to do. He has a purpose for your life. There is a part to play in the body that only you can play. Um, we want to go on a journey over the next year, helping all of us to identify what that is so we can know how we're made and know how we contribute to the body. And we can't go on this journey alone. Uh, for Saul, it began with Ananias. And each one of us needs an Ananias, someone who's going to go to us, who's going to cross the room, who's going to pray with us, who's going to release us. Perhaps the Lord might use you to be an Ananias to someone else, to, to go and to offer prayer and to be the means of releasing someone into the destiny that the Lord has for them. Uh, but it's, shall, we, shall we close in prayer as we thank God for this redeeming grace, this call on each of our lives? Perhaps would you stand with me as the band come back? And we pray that ancient prayer of the church. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God. Come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit. And minister to us, we pray as you did to Paul on that Damascus road. Father God, we say we, we want to see Jesus, Father. Would you send your spirit into our hearts and lead us to Jesus. And if you're new, we, we just take a couple of minutes now. We're going to take some space, just wait. Give God the space to apply his word to our hearts. So we pray, come Holy Spirit.